You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. There are many outward expressions of Christmas celebration. We see those expressions everywhere. We see Christmas celebrated with displays of lights. Christmas celebrated through the giving of gifts. Christmas celebrated with songs. Christmas celebrated with food. Can I get a witness? There are many outward expressions of Christmas celebration. But this morning, I'm not so much interested in how you celebrate Christmas outwardly. I want to talk to you about what's going on in your heart this Christmas season. We began a series of sermons called Celebrate Christmas last week. And last week we talked about celebrating Christmas on your knees like the wise men bowing before King Jesus. This morning I want to talk about celebrating Christmas in your heart. And our text will be Luke chapter 2. So turn there with me. Luke chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We're jumping into the middle of the familiar birth narrative account found in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, holy, inerrant, inspired living the Word of God. There in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, Father in heaven, we are gathered this morning as a grateful people, recognizing who you are and rejoicing in what you've done. We're so grateful, Lord, that as we gather on this second Sunday in December, we understand, we get it, Lord, the, the real meaning of this season. It's all about Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would help us from your word this morning, applied to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to learn what it means to treasure and ponder Christ in our hearts, to celebrate Christmas in our hearts. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Well, as I said, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. We see the angelic host appearing to the shepherds in a field. We'll talk some more about the shepherds next week. But they're told about the birth of a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord, lying in a manger. And they go to Bethlehem to investigate what the angels had told them. And they find Mary and they find Joseph and they see the babe. They see Jesus. And they begin to tell those who are there at that scene all about the angels appearing, the song they sang, the information that they gave. And all who were present, the Bible says, wondered, wondered at this news. And in the next verse, verse 19, there's a contrast drawn with the word but, day in the Greek language. The word but is meant to draw a, a contrast between the wondering of the people gathered around Jesus and the response of Mary. You might say it like this. There's the corporate response. The people are amazed. They are wondering about all of this news, this information, and the baby lying there in the manger. But contrasted with the corporate response is Mary's personal response. And in verse 19 it says, She treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now I want to just talk about those two words, treasuring and pondering. They are important words in this verse. The first word, verse 19, is Mary treasured up all these things. The Greek word there is suntereo. It means to exert mental effort in storing information so as to have continual access and use of it. The noun form of this same word means a very valuable object. So Mary is storing up this information carefully. She's storing up the, the events unfolding around her, and she sees this information as something to be treasured. She's making note of what she is experiencing. And it says not only did she treasure all these things, but she pondered them in her heart. The word pondering or pondered is an interesting word. It's the Greek word sumbalo. It literally means to throw together. Sum is the word for with, and balo is the word for throw. It means to throw together. So this word came to be used of, of giving careful consideration to something, throwing together information. That's, that's how this word is used. It means to give consideration in such a way that you're thinking through the various implications of that information. It means to reflect on. It means to think about seriously. It means to think deeply about it's a type of contemplation that attempts to put thoughts together into an understandable whole. It is deep reflection. 
So Mary is experiencing all of these events. She just gave birth as a virgin to this baby lying in a manger. Now shepherds come and tell of the angelic announcement. She's treasuring and pondering these things, thinking deeply about these things. And and in verse 19, that word but indicates that Mary reflected on the events in a way the crowds did not. Verse 18 says they were wondering, but Mary was treasuring and pondering. There's a, a difference there. It's the difference between saying, that's awesome. That's the response of the crowd. That's awesome. But Mary's response is more like, why is this so awesome? What's going on here? She's storing up information and reflecting upon it. She's treasuring and pondering so My application for you is this. I think we should follow Mary's example here. I think that you and I should strive during this Christmas season to go beyond just the outward expressions of Christmas celebration. And we should strive to celebrate Christmas in our heart. To give thankful, uh, to careful thought and consideration to who Jesus is and why Jesus came. In fact, notice what it says there in verse 19. It says, she treasured up all these things. What are the things that Mary was treasuring up in pondering? Well, there are three realities I want to share with you that I think probably answered that question. Three realities that Mary was treasuring and pondering. First of all, undoubtedly, she was thinking about angelic announcements. Angelic announcements. There in verse 17, the Bible says, When they saw it, when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The shepherds let Mary and Joseph know We came looking for this child because the angelic host filled the sky and told us he was born and told us who he was, and that's why we are here. And undoubtedly, Mary's thinking, angels again? Because this is not the first time that angels appear in the birth narrative. In fact, angels appeared to Zechariah way back in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. The the angel appeared to Zechariah when he was in the temple ministering as a priest to tell him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son, and this son will be the forerunner. He will prepare the way for the son, the son of God who will come, the Messiah. And so we see the the plans of Christmas being set in motion when an angel appeared to Zechariah to tell him about the birth of John the Baptist. And then in Luke 1, 26-38, Mary receives an angelic visitor where the angel explains to her that she is going to be pregnant and give birth to a child even though she's a virgin. You can imagine how perplexing that would be. 
And the angel wants Mary to know. This child that is in you, who is in you, in your womb, is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are giving birth to the Christ. The one who is leaving heaven and coming to earth and taking on human flesh. And Mary, in a remarkable statement of faith, says, let it be done according to your word. Let, do what you want with my life. The angel appeared to Mary. The angel appeared to Joseph. Joseph was Mary's fiancé. And of course, when Mary finds that she is pregnant, Joseph would have some questions. And so an angel appears to Joseph to tell him the same thing that the angel told Mary. She would give birth to a baby as a virgin. The child in her would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. And his name is Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The angel told Joseph that. And then in Luke 2, we see, as we read earlier, the shepherds appearing to, I mean, the angels appearing to the shepherds. They, they lit up the night sky. The, can you imagine the, the panorama? The entire horizon is full of the glory of these angelic hosts singing praises about the Messiah who came to earth on that night. Angelic announcements to the shepherds. And then we see an angel appear to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 2.13 where he says, Herod wants to kill your son. He wants to kill Jesus, so flee to Egypt. And they went to Egypt. And then after they were there for a time and the danger died down, an angel again appeared to Joseph and said, go back home. So all throughout this narrative surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, there are angels everywhere. Certainly Mary's thinking, with all these angels, all of heaven is focusing on what's happening in this moment. She knew because of the angelic involvement and the angelic announcements that heaven's gaze and attention were on what was happening. And it certainly was. And this reminds you and me of how important this event, the birth of Jesus, was and is in redemptive history. For God to provide salvation for lost, ruined sinners, God had to send a Savior. And that's what the birth of Christ is about. God the Father sending his own Son to come and save a lost and dying humanity. This event is of such critical importance. All of heaven is watching and so I want you to treasure, along with Mary, treasure and ponder heaven's interest in the birth of Christ. It's fascinating, isn't it? How the entire focus of the heavenly host the, 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 and the angels serving God, the entire focus is on what's happening in a little town called Bethlehem. In 1969, the first moon landing captivated the world. It gripped 
the world. People from many different nations were tuned in to the television set or listening on the radio, anticipating the first landing of, of humans on the moon. It was an all-encompassing focus. People weren't thinking about anything else other than those men landing on the moon. It was a monumental event. But that event pales in comparison, does it not? To the fact that the second person of the Trinity left the splendor and glory of heaven and took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary, being knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit and born fully God and fully man, come to save a lost and dying world. That is an event that is critical for your salvation and my salvation. It was monumental, and it had heaven's Focus. Mary's treasuring, pondering these things in her heart. Secondly, I believe she was probably pondering and treasuring humble beginnings. Humble beginnings. Look back with me in Luke 2, verse 16. It says, They went with haste, the shepherds, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. You know the story. That's a feeding trough. He did not come to the corridors of power. He was not born in a pristine, royal palace. In fact, there wasn't even room in local lodging in the small town of Bethlehem. People were coming into that city to pay their taxes. And it was so crowded, a mother about to give birth had no room. So Jesus is born in those very humble circumstances and laid in a, a manger? A feeding trough? I think about the birth of all four of my kids and I think about how much, how much emphasis we put on where we would lay our kids. The right crib, the right mattress, the right bedding. We thought about that a lot. Jesus was laid in a manger. And notice who the first visitors are. They're not dignitaries. They're not of any political importance. The first visitors to come and see Jesus are lowly shepherds. Shepherds were despised in the first century. They were, they were not trusted by wider society. They thought they were dishonest and unclean. And they really lived on the margins of the culture. And yet, these shepherds are the first visitors to come see Jesus. These circumstances remind us that Jesus had to humble himself to come to us. Divine condescension. I mean, Jesus Christ has always existed. 
From eternity past, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has existed in perfect communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Ruling and reigning in power and glory, experiencing the unceasing worship of heaven. Worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. And Jesus left that worship. He left that exalted position to humble himself and take on the frailty of humanity. He who was infinite took on the finite. Think about that for a minute. Amazing. Jesus humbled himself to come to us. So like Mary, I believe you and I need to treasure and ponder the remarkable humility Jesus displayed in coming to earth. Philippians 2, one of the great passages in all the Bible, speaks of this humility. Even though Jesus was equal with God, he humbled himself. He took on human flesh in the likeness of sinful man. So he might come and die in our place. He humbled himself. He laid aside the, the, the rights and prerogatives of deity. So he could come and serve and lay down his life for you and for me. I believe this is encapsulated so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses, verse 9, where Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus left the riches of heaven and took on the poverty of humanity. And in his humanity, don't forget, he would be mocked, maligned, beaten, crucified, betrayed, abandoned. A crown of thorns would be placed upon his brow. Cat and nine tails would lay open the flesh on his back. He took on humanity to suffer as our Savior. He was rich. He became poor for us. That we who are poor could experience the riches of heaven. This reminds me of the classic book written by Mark Twain, The Prince and the Pauper. It's a fascinating story about a prince, Prince Edward, finding out that he, that he bore a striking resemblance to a young man his age who grew up in a very poor family. The young man was named Tom Canty. So Prince Edward and Tom Canty decided it would be interesting to, to switch places. Tom would serve as the prince, and Prince Edward would go and take Tom's place in his poor family. And the background is this. Tom grew up in a family that abused him and treated him in cruel ways and in brutal ways. And the book tells us that Prince Edward took Tom's place, went to that family, and the prince experienced that same brutality, that same abuse. He took it all just like Tom did. And that's a, 
a small, small picture of what Christ has done for us. The king of all kings came and took on humanity to experience the brutality of man. And he humbled himself for you. Did you hear what I just said? He humbled himself for you. He came for you. So undoubtedly, Mary is thinking about the angelic announcements. And she's thinking about the humble beginnings of her son. But third, I believe that there's no question. Mary was thinking about majesty in a manger. Majesty in a manger. Look back with me in verse 7. The Bible says, She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And then in verse 16, They went with haste, found Mary and Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. Who was this baby lying in the manger? Mary witnessed God incarnate. The word incarnate or incarnation means in flesh. That's what it means. And she witnessed God taking on flesh, humanity. And Mary is looking at this babe in a manger who looks just like any other babe. He's fully human. She's pondering that this babe was conceived in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God in flesh. She's treasuring and pondering this reality. And I love to think about the incarnation. In fact, it is the theme of some of our greatest Christmas and Christian songs. Let me give you just a brief survey of some songs that relay the the idea of the incarnation. There's a wonderful song that says, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended. Look who took on flesh to ransom us. The wonderful song in Christ alone says this, In Christ alone Who took on flesh. Listen to this line. I love it. Fullness of God in helpless babe. Fullness of God in helpless babe. How about these lyrics? Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er their flocks by night. God with man is now residing. Yonder shines the infant's light. Or Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Listen, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. And then... 
just one brief line from the favorite Away in a Manger. I love when I'm singing that song and I sing this line. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Mary was treasuring and pondering this this majesty in a manger. As it says in Colossians 2.9, fullness of deity dwelling bodily. That's what she was experiencing on that night. Human nature and divine nature were united in one person, and his name is Jesus. As fully human and fully divine, Jesus is the only figure in human history fully qualified to make atonement for sin. As fully God, he could go to the cross and pay the infinite debt that we deserve because we've sinned against an infinitely holy God. And as man, he could fulfill justice and take our place and die in our place. As as the God-man, he could be the one mediator between God and man, taking the hand of God because he is God and the hand of man because he is man and bringing them together. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave to destroy sin and death so he could bring us into relationship with God. Only one who is fully God and fully man could do that. And that's what Jesus did. And so Mary, she she witnessed Looking at the baby in a manger, she witnessed fullness of God in helpless babe. But more than that, listen, Mary was his mother. Not only did she witness the incarnation, she experienced, she held the God-man. Can you imagine? She gazed into the face of God. She experienced this. And from that unique perspective, no one has ever treasured and pondered the incarnation like Mary did. And so here's the application with this idea of majesty in a manger. Would you this Christmas season treasure and ponder the mystery of the incarnation? Treasure and ponder the mystery of the incarnation. It's a mystery in the fact that we can't fully figure it out. It's beyond our finite, limited thinking. It just brings us to worship, right? And yet the Bible tells us very clearly who this child was. Fullness of God in bodily form. The god Man, I share my late mother's love for mysteries. She was always reading mystery books, and I've discovered that I like mystery books too. And I'm always got a mystery close at hand, and I, I like the, the the process of trying to figure out, you know, the the who done it. Right? You're 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 getting the information. You're trying to figure it all out. 
And then at the very end of the book, there's a reveal. It explains everything, and it helps you understand uh, what really happened. The mystery becomes very, very clear. Well, the Bible makes the mystery of the incarnation clear as to who Jesus Christ was and who Jesus Christ is. But we still find ourselves amazed that that majesty is there in a manger. Wow. And so this Christmas season, enjoy the outward expressions of celebrating, exchanging gifts, parties, music, lights, food. Oh, that's wonderful. We ought to do that. But if you look there in your notes, here's the takeaway. I think Christ followers should ponder the Christmas story so that we will be moved to more fully treasure Christ. I know there are outward expressions of celebration, but this morning I want to ask you this question. What's going on in your heart? Are you amazed by Jesus? Are you grateful for Jesus? Are you seeking after Jesus? Like these shepherds were. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.